Hello everybody and welcome to the Retro Monster Truck Review Podcast. My name is Josh Rhodes and I'm your host on this journey through time in monster truck racing. This week my co-host is the owner of J Concepts. He's been racing RC trucks since 1984 and he does a lot for the solid axle monster truck community. I'm speaking of course of Jason Rona. This is one of Jason's favorite events, Louisville 1990, and we're going to get right into it here on the Retro Monster Truck Review. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Retro Monster Truck Review. Today we've got Jason Rona on the show, and he's going to talk TNT Motorsports, Louisville Motor Speedway 1990, race number one. And Jason, you told me whenever we had spoken previously, you've probably watched this 500 times. It's it's one of those races that's just, immediately when you think old school monster trucks, it pops into your head. Oh yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to try to, I'm going to try to cue it up here too while, while we're talking, in case we got to, uh, reference anything but for sure yeah i mean i've watched this a bunch it's definitely if not my favorite episode it's definitely in the top three. Oh yeah same with me i still believe to this day carolina crusher and bigfoot here is probably the greatest monster truck race of all time as well as the greatest comeback of all time in monster truck racing history uh on lead broadcasting we got as always scott douglas army armstrong is the color commentator and then we got chris chapman in the pits our truck lineup, Dennis Anderson and Gravedigger number two, Andy Brass, Bigfoot number four, Bennett Clark, Clydesdale, Greg Holbrook in the Equalizer, who's currently leading the points, Gary Porter and Carolina Crusher, Mike Wine and the Outlaw, No Problem, John Moore, Kurt Fisher and Micro Machines, Scott Stevens and the Auto Value King Crunch, Gary Wiggins, Mopar Magic, and Kid Rarig in Thunder Chicken. Quite the lineup for a TNT show, too. It's it's a little little interesting. There are trucks in here that are certainly heavily favored more than others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I when I look down the lineup, it's definitely one of my favorite. I mean, the only one you really see that's missing from those days is USA One, who seemed to not run some of the turning courses. Plus, I think he had just crashed the truck maybe an event or two earlier, right? Yeah, it was Richmond. Comes up. It was Richmond. Richmond, Virginia. The uh, show opens up with Scott Douglas. He's talking about this really tough figure eight course. And over the years, this really was a really tough track for these trucks. There was a lot of breakage. Stomper rolling over in 88 comes to my mind as uh, one of those events where you knew that somebody was really hard charging. But at the same time, they may have overstepped their bounds and really the track. One of the first instances, I should say, of a track biting a truck. Yeah, I think it really kind of threw people for a loop, you know, guys that were used to the straight line stuff or maybe just a U-turn. Uh, this, you know, I heard Dennis Anderson say that, you know, if you started on the inside, you kind of felt like you were ahead of the guy where um, you might start to ease off a little, but he said he found over the years that he needed to kind of keep charging on that, uh, on both sides. Otherwise, the the other guy would come back and, and beat you. So we see that a number of times, I think, in this actual episode and uh, just kind of underestimating the inside outside uh, aspect to the track mm -hmm. and uh, they do play a replay here of um, I think it's Gary Porter Carolina Crusher and Clydesdale from the previous year where you see Gary kind of back off a little bit just as you're talking and then Clydesdale comes around him and passes him just before the finish line and sneaks the win from Gary 
Right. Yeah, I think that's that was kind of common on that track because of the inside-outside uh, situation and guys just, I, you know, I think just the pacing was tough, I would imagine, trying to figure out exactly how hard you're supposed to run that, that oval side and then how far you're supposed to jump the cars. You're running a really top-heavy truck on a, and I know it's it's not very banked, but it's still a banked three three eighths of a mile racetrack that we've got right here. Uh, there could been a very there could be quite an accident if you push it just a little too far. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think we saw some guys two wheel out there here and there. Uh, we saw some guys kind of lose control of the steering a little bit here and there. Yeah, I know. I went. I was actually at. The year after this, I was there in 91, and I saw Kramer get up on two wheels several times with Bigfoot 9, and, you know, that thing just wanted to bite on that, kind of where the bank started, and it wanted to get up on two wheels. And um, I believe the same was happening to Taurus at that event as well. Mm -hmm. Jack, Jackie was sliding into the corner, and it almost looked like he was doing a Tokyo drift around turn one. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough, it seems, just, seems like it's just a tough track, and... You know, the first time I ever saw it in 88 when they ran, I loved it, um, 89, um, and then of course in 90 it just seemed like it all kind of came together uh, with the speed of the trucks at that time and then sort of that battle between uh, the points leaders. Mm -hmm. And it seems what it was always, what always come down into uh, the LMS races was who was higher up in points. The cream would always rise to the top, we'll put it that way here at LMS. Uh, we get into qualifying, first truck pair out, Clydesdale and no problem. Uh, bit of an interesting matchup here because you've got a truck with a really long wheelbase versus a truck with a really short wheelbase and no problem too. Uh, honestly, I, I was kind of under the impression that the longer wheelbase may have a little bit of an advantage here, but John Moore really puts the wood to the floor here and just uh, really runs past Bennett Clark and Clydesdale, setting a time of 41 seconds. Yeah, I mean they 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 like to talk about those wheelbases quite a bit uh, in in these episodes. I think that was sort of like their go-to comment for Army and, and them was to talk about the no problem wheelbase and you know they're just trying to give him a, give him an advantage at something uh, at one point or another. And then Clydesdale at the time it looked like I think they revised the truck so it was long. He had one of the longer trucks and yeah, like you said, uh, no problem ran the the better run here. And I don't really think the wheelbase had really any effect on on anything on this track, but um, you know it it helped I think in the in the commentary on TV to kind of uh, give that differential. One thing that is fresh here is John Moore's motor. He said he only had seven minutes on it before this pass, and I'd say uh, he was pretty pleased with it by the time he came back to the pits. Yeah, what I was told was uh, Bigfoot actually gave this engine to John Moore. Um, I don't know if you had heard that before. Tad Goad had told me that because he was close with the No Problem crew that uh, Bob actually gave um, No Problem that, that engine that he was running, uh, I believe, was here. It makes a lot of sense because all of a sudden that truck really picked up some speed. Uh, now we get to probably the definition of One Run Anderson here <laughs> against Outlaw. Uh, big rivalry in TNC here, Mike Wine and Dennis Anderson. Uh, one thing that Army always wants to point out, as soon as Dennis pulls to the line, the headlights weren't on on Dennis's truck before he took off here. The truck definitely wasn't at 100%, but boy, when he comes around that first turn and just absolutely launches it, 
hard to top anything like that with that truck. I mean, Digger 2 just flying through the air, and then you see all these parts and pieces just scattering from the bottom of it, put on a show, and he probably sold a lot of t-shirts on that one. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that was kind of what, you know, some of the things that Dennis struggled with at that time was just uh, finishing events or uh, his just general breakage. There was finishing events, the general breakage, just trying to hold everything together under that truck as he's pushing so much horsepower and the parts and pieces under it may not necessarily be able to hold it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked, you know, obviously I was a Bigfoot guy. Um, that's why I got into monster trucks. That's why I got into RC. And, you know, that was a... Uh, but but I, I started taking a liking to Gravedigger, as, as I'm sure many people did. And during that time and watching these runs, it just, it, it really shows you, you that, um, you know, he, he wasn't laying down at all. You know, he was going to give, no, he was going to give you that show. He was going to give you that run, no matter if he had to go back and work on it or drive it back home and uh, rebuild it. Uh, he was going to give you that run. And yeah, like you said, he skied it out on that first hit. I know. I had a feeling that he was probably trying to set the number one qualifier right there. And honestly, just by looking in, like looking at it, the fastest qualifying time ends up being about a 39-second run. I think Dennis was on pace to hit a high 38 with this pass. Because, I mean, if that truck stays together going around the second half of that, man, he had so much speed that he was carrying around the, uh, I believe he was on the high, or no, he was on the inside He's carried so much speed on that inside, it makes you wonder how much the speed he would have carried on the outside coming to the cars. What ends up happening here, though, is both trucks are hurt after the first pass of the car over the cars, and they end up having a photo finish, but it's probably one of the slowest photo finishes in Monster Truck history at the time. You've got Dennis just creeping over the cars in two-wheel drive, Mike Wine doing the same, and in the replay of this, we get just this awesome side shot of Outlaw flying over the cars, and you just see the front drive shaft kind of floating in this slow-mo you know i what i never quite understood i guess uh, is and, and i know that dennis wanted to put on a show i never quite understood you know why he hammered it out so much in these qualifying runs when i'm sure he knew that his the the potential for breakage was very high and just getting getting further into the field uh to me seemed a little more logical but I think he he really liked to give people that show. Uh, there was a documentary on Bob Chandler here recently that aired on Discovery. And you hear Bob talking about how they were working really hard to get in advance into the bracket and make basically make money that way. Well, Dennis, he might go out in round one, but he was upstairs selling $10,000 worth of t-shirts after that one run. Yeah, and that was you know definitely, I think, the, the difference in how the the approach was in those days where you get so caught up into the the racing side of it um that there's also a sales aspect to this thing uh like any any type of a uh, sport motorsport uh you you gotta sell and i think that dennis found that out really quickly that you know he could make these kind of runs uh, and and it would really help him in in the sales department and it really what it did is it created a name and uh you know he had the name on the truck which was neat and the spooky paint job but really the it wouldn't have been nothing if it didn't make a good pass every now and then 
And I think that's what he did is he basically had he had a name, he had a look, and once he backed it up with uh, a hard run like that, uh, people started gravitating towards towards that uh, that truck because of that. Yep, that's exactly what they did. Uh, they, he may not have known it at the time, but he was creating his own brand. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what it is. And you know, he had a uh, he had to stand out a little differently. Uh, you know, and and that was his way. And I think the breakage was frustrating. You know, I remember being young at the time. I mean, I guess this is 1990, so I was. 14. Um, how old were you in 1994? I was four. <laughs> yeah, so I was 14. Yeah, I went to my first show in 1990. Okay. Yeah, so so I was 14 watching this, and, and that's what I remember is I, I liked Gravedigger, but I just never understood the, the one-run thing. Like, I always kind of felt like, at the time, I always felt like, man, you're really... You know, it's a lot of time to go there and run that one run, but obviously he kind of knew something from the sales that I didn't. <laughs> he was he was picking up on things a lot of people weren't picking up on. I think back in the day, he was he was a lot smarter than he let on. I think as far as the t-shirt sales and everything went, it's interesting that they say Army says right here at the end uh, when you see the Gravedigger, there's only one Gravedigger. It's not like a NASCAR team that has three or four vehicles. Dennis only has one truck. He needs to back off of the exhibitions and get serious about racing, referring to the fact that he had been doing some uh, exhibition events in California. In 2021, hindsight, looking back on that quote, there's only one gravedigger. Right. <laughs> I just thought that was a funny little quote that Army had in there, just looking back on it now. Uh, we get to the next pair. is a, kind of a mismatch here, honestly. Equalizer and Mopar Magic. Greg Holbrook had just taken over driving duties of this truck, and boy, did he really fit right behind the wheel of the equalizer here. Uh, goes on to set a 40.79 second qualifying pass over Gary Wiggins and Mopar Magic. Uh, a little bit later in this episode, we're going to see these two pair up again and again. It's kind of weird how qualifying works out sometimes. <laughs> just watching the equalizer truck work, they had it figured out over there in that camp. Yeah, uh... That was one of the best trucks of all time, easily. Yeah, it's one of the best trucks of all time. Uh, it was well-designed, even though everybody, all the experts at that time, when they saw it, they all said the same thing about it. But by this time in 1990, once they added the, the long coilover shocks here, um, this truck really improved a lot. Like from 89 to 90, uh, it really improved a lot. And I think, you know, in, in 89 it was good also, but I think in 90, once they changed the shocks and, and I think they did some other modifications, uh, that truck was really, really good. And, uh, it, and, and if there was no Bigfoot 8 here, they, they would have um, destroyed everybody this year too. They'd have been pretty close. I think if even if four was still in there, four was giving them a run for the money. If brass is behind the wheel of four, I still say it comes down to Louisville. But I'm kind of on the side of you saying <laughs> that uh, probably Equalizer walks away with the win there. Uh, yeah. Take a Mike Wine here in the back. These ramps are insane. They're too <laughs> steep. 
it came down and it felt like it landed on the wheel. I have a U-shaped tie rod bar because we have a different style front end than everybody else. It came down together and now it's made a circle. That's how hard he hit racing Dennis. Um, man, that just ex explains to you how fast they're still going when they come to the car set right here. And even the, the, the longer lap time that they're having here with these older trucks, they're still carrying quite a bit of speed. As Mike continues to talk, we get a great camera shot, by the way, of Outlaw that I had mentioned earlier. That's when that airs. And, man, I, I love that side shot. You just see that drive shaft kind of floating in there. It also gives a, a kind of a look at how the safety loops work as well. Yeah, that thing is, is flopping down there, and it's, and it's kind of containing it to that general area. Mm -hmm. uh, next matchup here, two fan favorites, Gary Porter, Carolina Crusher, Scott Steven, maybe a fan favorite in uh, King Crunch in some certain other ways. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great lap for both trucks here. Porter just looks incredibly smooth like Carolina Crusher 2 always was. It was an incredibly consistent truck. But Stevens, wanting to save some equipment, you can kind of see him backing off before the cars. Yeah, I see to, to me when I, when I saw Scott Stevens run many times in these videos, I feel like he was kind of like the anti-Dennis Anderson. Like, he would kind of do these kind of runs where he would run, you know, somewhat hard, but if he wasn't feeling it or, like, he felt like it was going to tear up the truck, he kind of did the opposite. He, like, backed off and just kind of rolled over, you know, the center of the cars there on that first pass-through, and then, then he kind of sends it on the second pass through over the cars, but the thing just does, it lands like a ton of bricks there. Yeah. That's the bad thing about King Crunch. Uh, the way it would land, sometimes it would go crunch. Uh, we get yeah. the closest pass here, though, so far, other than Dennis and uh, Outlaw. We got a 40.29 for Carolina Crusher, and we get a 40.82 for King Crunch. Very close in times there. Uh, the next matchup, Micro Machines, which is a brand-new truck driven by Kurt Fisher out of the Green Boys Racing Toy Stable against the Thunder Chicken, which is... People remember the Thunder Chicken for the name, and I think the name only, really, because you're just like, why in the world would you name your truck Thunder Chicken, of all things? Right, right. Yeah, me and my friends had several names for this truck, and none of them were Thunder Chicken. But, um, you know, he would definitely surprise you on occasion. He uh, would run pretty... Consistent truck. Yeah, he would run pretty well occasionally and surprise people. He would sneak up on them and beat them. Uh, here, you know, he's racing the Micro Machines, which, you know, they're they're trying. This is their run at making a Stage 3 type of truck, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I was never all that impressed with this Micro Machines. Uh, you know, maybe it got running better here and there, but it, it to me it just seemed like it wasn't a lot. Work out on that truck. A lot. It seemed like it, it never quite ran up to its potential. Maybe I saw a couple... Uh, a couple videos here and there on YouTube where I was like, oh, okay, well, it looks like they ran well there. But in general, in these days, it didn't – it looked like a – I like the looks of the truck. It's a pretty truck. Oh, yeah, it was Verity. They did the paint scheme very well on it. It represented the Micro Machines brand very well with mm -hmm. prominently on the side of it. But like you said, it just it never seemed to live up to the hype. It reminds me a lot of Stomper, honestly. Because Stomper yeah. never really seemed to live up to the hype that they would bill it as on TV. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, it was always – and you could tell at that time that, you know, TNT probably owned Stomper. And they had some, you know, you know, they had to kind of pump it a certain way. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure this Micro Machines, they had to pump it a little bit similar because this is a time period where then the Micro Machines brand 
uh, Galoob was sponsoring this show. They kind of had their own set of toys, uh, um, the Micro Machine monster, little monster trucks, and so uh, you know some sponsorship games kind of come into play here where um, they got to pump a few things. Uh, yeah, and it's the same way you see in every motorsport these days, whether it's NASCAR and. Uh, Valvoline, for say, is sponsoring an event. They'll pump Valvoline the whole event, or in Monster Jam where they're pumping um, just anything else. And yeah, my dog likes to bark. She's back there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, final truck to qualify, though, a favorite of both you and I, and currently being restored by Lonnie and Jason Childress over at Gateway Classic Mustang, Bigfoot number four. Previously, they state that John Pyant was injured here, and I can't for the life of me remember the event that he was injured at or what had actually happened with John, but Annie Brass is behind the wheel here. And I think they made the right choice for somebody to come to Louisville and take on this track. Yeah, I mean, at the time when I watched this, I felt like that they just put Andy in the truck because they felt he was the better driver. Yeah, I kind of uh, felt the same thing. When I remember watching this back, I don't, I didn't remember them talking about Plant being injured. Me, me either. And you know, when I watch this back now, I, I, I hear that every time that he was in, injured, and I know. I'm pretty close with John. He used to work for us, and he talked. He's talked to me about this a little bit, and he was injured, uh, I believe, and he had some problem. He had some neck problems, uh, whiplash stuff, and it definitely, um, it it definitely was something he said that really affected him a lot. Was the the driving of the trucks and the neck whiplash and back injuries and. He said all that stuff really it catches up to you fast when you're driving these trucks. Oh, yeah. One thing I need to point out here is Bigfoot 8 was currently banned at the time, so they brought in Bigfoot 4, and from the last couple podcasts we've talked about Bigfoot 4, Bigfoot 4 the truck was a lot heavier. There was a, lot, a heck of a lot more weight on this truck, and now in 1990 this thing has slimmed down. It's got its own roll cage on, and it's fiberglass body instead of full metal. This truck is, without a shadow of a doubt, probably the best Stage 2 monster truck ever built. And it's continued to prove it's how excellent of a build this truck was anyway when Andy goes out and just obliterates Porter's time. 39.59 for Bigfoot number 4. And uh, if I remember correctly, this is the truck that you based your RC version off of, right? Yeah, this is this is the one I really like. Uh, the, oh, of all the versions of Bigfoot 4, this is my favorite. Um, you know, when it gets the stripes with the Goodyear tires, I really like it too. But this is my favorite version with the single nitrogen charge shock in the back mm-hmm. and the all blue uh, with the centered logo. And uh, yeah, this is my favorite. And and I think what really did it for me here is when Andy drove the truck, I felt like we were seeing what it could really do on this track. And they were having some engine fueling problems here. Uh, you know, as you you know, uh, as obviously we'll get to get to that later, but like you said, I think that this is the best stage two truck of all time because um, you could do everything. A lot of work put into this truck to give it more suspension travel and to try and make it not necessarily mimic number eight, but make it easier for the driver and better on the driver. Yeah, what I see with this truck is throughout the years you could do any type of event with this if you wanted to pull a sled if you want to do a u-turn track a figure eight track a straight line track this truck could do it all and not very many trucks you know usa one was amazing in a straight line but they didn't like to run anything else with it so 
I think that this truck more along the lines of let's do everything in HRA style and have it nice and straight down the track. Mm-hmm. This truck could notoriously not turn very well. Yeah. Whereas four could do everything. Yeah, and that's kind of why I consider this the best stage two truck. Uh, you know, throughout that time, just because it could do everything, and I think, you know, in the early years it was appropriately powered, but I think by the time of the end of '88 and into '89. They could have even upped the power a little more in this, and I think by the time this was in 1990, they were starting to really tweak on on the setup and the engine on this, like you like you mentioned, and they were starting to get a lot out of this thing. They definitely were, and it shows in qualifying. 39.59, quick time over Gary Porter and Carolina Crusher, 40.29. rest of the field's pretty spread out. We get a few other times in the 40-second range. Scott Stevens, the slowest in the 40-second range, at fourth quickest at 40.82. And we get John Moore in fifth spot here with 41 seconds. All trucks that are kind of within that threshold to really bite at Bigfoot if they have the shot to. Uh, we get a recap of the points right here. I'll go ahead and recap the top five going into this event. This event. Equalizer is number one at 33 I can't even talk 342 points to Bigfoot's 338 King Crunch at 329 still very much in this and Gary Porter kind of lagging behind here at 284 and then Awesome Kong who's mysteriously not at this event at 276 Yeah the, at this time the the points were still somewhat equal here there was a room for many different drivers I think to and their trucks to still win this whole series uh, especially if you're in that top 3 or 5 area to go on a little run and, and, you know, get up there and competitive. And they had a lot of things right with this uh, 1990 season, and, and I think the competition was was one of them. Exactly. I agree 100%. Uh, we actually get into the bracket here, and we see no problem in Clydesdale on the line, and they explain that Bigfoot and Outlaw, 1v7 matchup, is going to be dropped to the bottom of the bracket to allow Outlaw some time to fix itself after that wild pass with Dennis in round one, or excuse me, in qualifying. Uh, no problem in Clydesdale here, though. This is uh, a wild pass for Bennett Clark. He's, it looks like he, when he comes around to hit the cars this first time, and only time on this pass, it looks like he's probably going to lose the race anyway because we see John Moore coming from behind. Moore's catching him, and then all of a sudden, Clydesdale, known to be a very consistent truck, but we forgot to mention, as I previously forgot to mention, the week before he actually rolls over at uh, Texas Stadium. Yeah. The truck gets hit by wild hair, does a, a flip over. They've got a brand new paint scheme on the truck here. They probably didn't have time to go over every little crack and crevice on this vehicle after that rollover. And it shows as it shears the right rear tire at the knuckle straight off. Yeah, I, th- I thought this at the time, you know, this was kind of what they started the show off with was uh, some Clydesdale highlights and him lo- losing uh, this, this rear, um, I don't know, I guess it was a, axle broke the flange off off of uh, where you adapt the planetaries to the axle right yep sheared all the uh, excuse uh, excuse me sheared all the bolts off according to bennett yeah and this is i mean with that axle when it's just grinding away at the pavement there that side of that thing man i um i always kind of dread those things and when those guys get them back how they can even work on these things and get them back going again is always just amazing to me Oh, yeah, and I mean, a guy like Bennett, I'm assuming, I think he's always been a privateer. He's never really had anybody working on the truck other than him, and now he's got to go back in the back and try and fix this thing before the next round, which I do think it's kind of funny, though, that Scott Douglas kind of says, hey, you know what, is is he completely out of the event? And Army's like, oh, yeah, he's done. (laughs) (laughs) 
happen. There's no there's no coming back from that. Yeah, you know, I think it was it was funny uh, that there's some of the I believe you call them armyisms or something where he uh, he would ask people certain questions, uh, you know, all the time. You know, that was kind of like his. You know, he had a, a couple lead-ins and a couple outros that he liked to use, and mm-hmm. and you know, obviously them talking about things like that is is kind of funny. But you can see when he even just took off the ramp when he when it the truck started to make the jump and it hit the rear tire, you can actually see it loosened yeah, there. The tire kind of jiggle a little bit when it actually hits the jump. Yeah, uh, it could have been damaged from the previous round as well, because Bennett actually does mention here says these were the ramps that they had three years ago, and they're the steepest that he feels they've ever had at Louisville. Mm-hmm. Surprise! This is also the crunch of the week that follows this, by the way, from Micro Machines of all of all things. We just got them talking about that Micro Machines sponsoring the crunch of the week. John Moore doesn't know what happened to Bennett, and in a, in a little bit of a funny thing here, he states, "Oh, that's that's the one I welded on last year." Yeah. You know, and it's funny because he, he actually looks like legitimately feels bad about, uh, you know, maybe that having something to do with him welding it um, wrong or just, you know, weakening up. But, yeah, I mean, uh, he ran a good race here, though, no problem. I mean, I think even if Clyde, like you said, I think even if Clydesdale was finished that up, I think no problem was probably going to win that one. Yeah, I think I think no problem had it had that round easy because at that point, John... He's got a lot of speed coming to the cars. He's probably he pulls almost even with Clydesdale when they land, and obviously if Clydesdale doesn't break, they're even going into that last turn. And Clydesdale is at a severe disadvantage having that outside lane compared to John, who can just scoot right around that inside and is probably going to pull three, four trucks on him before he gets to the cars. Yeah. Uh, next qualifier, excuse me. Next round one matchup here we have Equalizer and surprise, surprise, Mopar Magic. Another rematch from qualifying. Uh, this one a little ends a little bit differently as Equalizer is out ahead of Mopar Magic, and then all of a sudden you see that you hear Army say the kill. What, what's that on his hood? The kill box actually flies out of the vehicle and lands on the hood of Mopar Magic, which just shuts the truck off totally. Yeah, you know, and I remember watching this, you know, when I was a kid, thinking that was very um, kind of odd that that would actually happen, and. And then, but yeah, you can see in the replay how it's bouncing out of there and it turns them off. And, you know, they don't let these guys rerun, um, you know, when, when something like that happens. Obviously, that becomes a factor uh, very late in the year. But, uh, you know, if something happens or malfunctions, mm-hmm. they don't let these guys do it. Yeah, they didn't let him rerun that at all. And you hear Gary Wiggins in his interview, he almost sounds disgusted. He thinks that this actually cost him the race. And, Honestly, I think when he looks back at the replay on that race, he's going to see that he'd already lost it. <laughs> Equalizer's out ahead of him right here. It's it's a much, much more advanced truck than what Mopar Magic is. Um, one thing that really jumps out at me here, though, is how far out... There, it's just kind of a funny thing that jumps out to me. How far out the kill box is on the hood, but yet we see that Gary has somehow magically grabbed it and is climbing back in the window. It's like he had to crawl all the way out on the hood of that thing to get that kill box <laughs> and then come all the way back into the cab of the truck. Yeah, the, the stuff that they would do back then to stay racing or uh, just things that seem a little dangerous or, or goofy, goofy today wasn't a big deal back then. Yeah. He also mentions that he didn't really feel like the track was the reasoning for it, and he didn't really feel the track was very rough. Look at that landing. That's a rough landing, and it's rough enough to knock that kill box straight out of there, so I don't know if he may have rung his bell just a little bit while he was talking there, but that's a little weird to me to hear that from him after that pass. 
Yeah, you know, like you said, it, you know, I think he had a little bit of wishful thinking about that that race, and you know, every competitor is you know thinking that you know they have a chance to win, but uh, obviously he's racing probably probably the fastest truck at that event. So. Yep, probably. Uh, the next matchup, we get King Crunch and Thunder Chick in a battle of number four qualifier and number ten. Uh, a line from Scott Douglas here that makes me chuckle. The consistent Thunder Chicken versus the sometimes spectacular King Crunch. Yeah. Chicken dies on the line after it was just called a very consistent truck by Scott Douglas. <laughs> and then King Crunch just has a nice slow pass to move on to the next round. A clean legal pass for Scott Stevens right there. Yeah, he just, you know, and this is another thing like we talked about earlier where he just kind of, uh, if he can take it easy, he will take it very easy. And, I mean, you can see him crawling over these cars like just, I mean, obviously we've all been to uh, car crushes mm-hmm. uh, where they're going over him faster than he's going here. So he didn't want to hurt any equipment, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think that's partly due to where he was positioned in the bracket. I'm not going to give anything away just yet, but I think uh, he's really saving that truck for maybe the next round or two. Mm-hmm. Carolina Crusher, number two in qualifying versus Micro Machines here. Probably the most controversial race of round number one as we get uh, Micro Machines going off into the grass big time with all four tires here. And at first, he's not disqualified, which is astonishing to think back nowadays. You're like, wait, they didn't they didn't call that penalty? Were they blind? Or what were they looking at? Because he was clearly off into the grass. Yeah, he went way over there. And I guess what they're saying is it's all four wheels uh, must be get over in the grass, and that's that's kind of what. Very clear here. All four tires were off in the grass. Yeah, it was like he didn't know where he was going for a second. Like he just drives over there, and he just keeps driving through the corner. It's well, like think, he doesn't. I think what really happens is, is he knows he's there with Gary, and he he pushes the truck really hard. <laughs> but I don't think he knows how far off to the left that he is. And right. A set of cars that may not have been crushed down the right way, and it just kicks him off that way off the cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what it looks like. And he's like, you know what? I'm in a race and I'm in a battle here, and I can't just, you know, get out of the grass. I'm just going to keep going and see if they call it on me, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> or if he didn't even see it. You have a little awkward interview with Kurt Fisher and Chris Chapman here. She almost asked him, "Wait, you're completely done? No, we're just out for tonight. We're just out for the night." Almost like he was retiring right then and there. But if you watch that interview back, Kurt Fisher's eyes are this big, like. He had that dude I almost had you look from Paul Walker in back in the old uh, Fast and the Furious days. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. You get Gary interviewed here and Gary is very serious. I think he's doing his best to bite his tongue in this interview. He's not happy that Kurt was not disqualified here. Uh, and then as we find out a little bit later after the after this next race, Kurt is disqualified. Yeah, which makes obviously the sense and basically what gary's saying is if he had that inside lane he's just going to drive over there too i'm gonna drive in the grass too what's going to stop him at that point i mean yeah and i'm sure that word got back and they're like oh yeah yeah that makes sense (laughs) uh finally we get the matchup that uh, a lot of people probably wanted to see anyway bigfoot and outlaw but unfortunately this is where you see this the fuel stumbling issues from bigfoot four really take effect and this is the worst that it happens the entire event foot completely stalls to the point that one of the crew members has to run out and spray into the carburetor to try to get the truck to refire. Yeah, you can see he gets a nice little start here. Like the cart, the truck came off the line well, and then it just falls on its face and stops running. Yeah, it just stops. And from that point on, you see uh, Mike Wine, who's probably just giddy, giddy and turning pink inside the truck because he knows he gets to advance around on Bigfoot here. 
Uh, one thing Mike mentions, though, after this, uh, after this, is we hear that he wants to thank Johnny Kay from Buffalo Tremor for helping him get the truck back together. That's a little bit of a mystery to me. Was Buffalo Tremor there? Were there more trucks at this event that may have qualified in, and they really only showed the top twelve passes? That's a possibility. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, if, I don't know if you see the, his truck anywhere in any of the other videos, but Army asks uh, Outlaw another Armyism here: Is Outlaw the Walking Wounded the rest of the night or going into the next round? And Wine says, absolutely not. Nobody's going to make it a buy run off of me. Yeah, and and that's was very common for him in those days. He. He uh, was he did really well in these television interviews. He he was able to kind of give you the sort of a controversial uh, uh, standpoint in a sense, and in in a playful way, he did it in a playful way, which I think kind of made him popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I wanted to find out more about this fueling problem that we had here on Bigfoot Four. I sent a message to Andy Brass. I don't think he's used his Facebook in five years, but <laughs> I didn't get a reply. But I did message Gene Patterson, who was working for Bigfoot at the time, albeit on another Bigfoot truck. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was Bigfoot 7. And he mentioned that Bob was just not a fan of alcohol injection, and this motor was designed for alcohol. Uh, he saw the Tauruses and Barefoot at the time that he would call on and off with somewhat uncertainty or uncontrollably or uncontrollable engine performance. They actually had a predator injection system where they covered their famous toaster predator carburetors to run it. Uh, they did some testing at the shop and all worked really good, but Bob and I think everybody else was still really hesitant to try it. He mentions that Dan Patrick actually had a Crower injection system that he was going to try and make work, but did not. Yeah, uh, that was really confusing watching this event as a uh as a kid and just being such a Bigfoot fan and just the truck not running off the line. And, and, you know, you just kind of felt like, you know, you were kind of let down a little bit, um, that this truck wouldn't run that well here. And, you know, what's funny is, you know, I, I know that you talked to Gene and, and one day I was, when I was watching this video as kind of prep in the background, I saw, um, Dan Patrick was also there. Mm -hmm. So uh, I happened to be talking to him one day, and I actually asked him about this. And at first, you know, he could you could kind of see he was like, we're, we're asking about something 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, like, like 30 years ago? But uh, then, you know, and then uh, as a little bit of time goes by, he's like, yeah, I remember that, you know, and he started kind of explaining some of the things that you're mentioning uh, that uh, that Gene that Gene said he didn't Bob didn't like the alcohol injection stuff. Uh, took a lot of warming up to get him to kind of convert over to that system, and there and because I believe this was either a, was this a 572 in Bigfoot here or a 540? I can't remember. And and the reason that uh, they had to run on gas was because if it was 572 or greater, they wouldn't let you run on alcohol on TNT. Okay. And that and they. Some information I did not know. Yeah, I, I thought that's I thought it had something to do with that. That it was uh, you know TNT uh, wanted you to run on gas if you had that that size of a of an engine. Um, 
in you know USA one always ran a five seventy two with the carburetors, um, and I think he ran on like kind of race gas. Um, but uh, you know I would really like to see Bigfoot four run on alcohol here. That's for sure. Oh yeah, if four's running on alcohol here, I I believe that Andy's probably got the field covered. Yeah, and it and it doesn't stumble off the line. He's he would be looking pretty golden. We get the announcement here that Micro Machines has now officially been disqualified. And Chris Chapman asks Kurt Fisher, how does it really make him feel? And he jokingly replies, I can't say that on the air. Right. <laughs> uh, to round number two, equalizer, number three qualifier, fast loser, Mopar Magic. I guess third time's the charm here, and Gary Wiggins really gets to show us what he's got. Uh, qualifying <laughs> in round number one, they've matched up here. And Wiggins is upset that the kill box cost him the race earlier, but... Same thing happens here. Equalizer dusts him, and Mopar dies shortly after the cars. Equalizer moves on to the next round. Yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy that they raced each other this many times on one night. And like you said, it really gave Mopar his his shot. And, you know, it's not a bad running truck. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to criticize. Um for us, but he kind of, he gets a decent little jump there off the, off the center stack and kind of bounces towards the wall, never really gets it under control. And then equalizer just finishes it off easy again. Hasn't really had a tough run yet. Yeah. Not a tough run at all for equalizer. And it's going to save the equipment on that truck as well. You don't see equalizer really pushing and hitting those cars extremely hard until probably the next round. Uh, and speaking of the next round, this is probably why Scott Stevens was saving his equipment in the previous round. Number four qualifier, King Crunch, against the fast loser, number one qualifier, Bigfoot. This is one of the races they hype up here because they actually mention in the interview afterwards that Stevens actually has something on the front of his truck referencing a lawsuit that Bigfoot has against TNT over Bigfoot 8 being banned. Uh, Stevens is not a fan of number eight at all being out there, and he's very vocal about it. Yeah, that seemed to where that's where his character kind of uh, came in this 1990 season. I think he was in, you know, he ran races in '88 and '89, of course, and and then he got into '90 and kind of became a, a little more of a complainer, whiner about uh, the Bigfoot Eight truck, and just kind of he got his stance was that he didn't, I guess, didn't think it should been allowed to run or legal, and then he, I think, the Bigfoot guys took. Um, the ban, and they started a lawsuit against TNT is what I'm referencing here, and it looks like I'm guessing what happened is is they said they agreed on a, okay, well, they're not banning it for the whole season. What we're going to do is sit you out for you know two and a half months. Mm-hmm. They sit him out for two and a half months. Eight comes back eventually. Obviously goes on to win the TNT championship that year, but this race right here is pretty important <laughs> as far as a Bigfoot standpoint, because this is the guy that's very vocal about your vehicle that is currently banned right now. So obviously they want to come out and, uh, I guess, uh, I believe it's army mentions to Andy afterwards. He says, you were in Dallas last week and you said you wanted nothing more to go out and beat Scott Stevens with an older truck. And that's exactly what he does here. It's probably the hardest run of the night up to this point for both of these vehicles. And boy, Stevens, I think he leaves a little bit on the table here that first time by over the cars. He slows up just a little bit, and Andy Andy doesn't. Andy guns it over those cars, and he's dead even with him when they go into that turn. Yeah, when, when I when I watch this race, 
and the way I felt at the time and the way I still feel today is that this was these guys finally fighting back a little bit. I felt like the the Bigfoot guys, like they, I feel like they, you know, they had a lot of advantages, of course, because of their their name and their um, sponsorships and <clears throat> Bigfoot Eight. But I think they kind of got tired of these guys talking trash and, um, you know, putting them down and saying they couldn't do it with the other truck. And and then they put Andy behind the wheel here. He really made. He really was the hero of these of these events, and I think that it really made me believe that this was the best driver that they had at the time was Andy. And uh, you know, at the time, I always felt like if Jim Cramer wasn't there, like the number one guy wasn't there. But this was the first time I felt like, all right, they got a solid two guy here that's not afraid of this thing. And um, that's what stands out to me about this race is they just kind of got tired of everybody. And they finally said, you know what, we're going to run this thing hard. We're going to put our guy in here that we think is our best guy. And uh, he made it talk. Oh, he certainly made it talk. Uh, as far as the debate on who's better there between Kramer and Brass, man, at this time it's tough to say, but I know going down the road Andy's going to really prove himself in the next couple of years for Bigfoot, as well as even later this season in Bigfoot. Uh, we skip ahead just a little bit and we get to the interview with Andy and uh, we, we mentioned what uh, I had mentioned with Army earlier. He says, we brought one of the old ones here to prove that we could do it right with the old one. We really didn't need the new one here. That one stuck at, stood out to me. He didn't need the new one, though earlier in the night when they had interviewed him, it almost seems like he was a little disgusted to be behind the wheel of Bigfoot 4 just a little bit. Because he, he mentions how he would, you almost see a twinkle in his eye how he'd much rather have eight. But he's, ha he's still happy with four, but it's almost like, eh, that's, that's the backup. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, is he, you know, at first he's like, well, you know, this is the truck we got for the weekend and I'll deal with it. Uh, but I think he has, he, he got done with that run. I think he felt like I can win this thing tonight. And the this truck is back in his eyes a little bit, especially after that run. Cause that's the guy that he really, wants. yeah, yeah. He, he got the, the King trash talker, uh, kind of out of the way there and uh, just had a great run mm -hmm. up next outlaw number seven qualifier against no problem and unfortunately the cinderella story for john moore happens to just it ends right here john moore dies on the line and wine has white smoke just pouring out of this truck this poor truck has been through so much in this event losing a drive shaft in round one they forgot about a blown head gasket on the motor here the front end's messed up, as I mentioned. It's got a, a circle in there now instead of the U that they had been talking about. And, uh, boy, Mike Wine makes a slow pass here. He says that when he went out to the line, the truck was at 220 degrees, and when he came back from running, it was at 260. So you know this motor temperature, is it's it's rising. This truck, is it's hurt, but he's advancing rounds, and you can see there's, there's a bit of a big grin on Mike Wine's face. He still thinks he can go out there and put on a show with this thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was um, – that's what was so good about him in an interview. I thought he was positive about his equipment. Uh, he was positive about his sponsors. It didn't seem like he complained uh, that much about other things. And he was just – I thought he was good for his truck and his sponsors. And really, I always made it seem like he had a chance. And I think that that was really what he was all about. And I think one of the reasons he was popular. 
he was incredibly popular uh, just for the fact that he knew how to he knew how to cut. And he, he's one of those guys. It almost reminds you of a pro wrestler at times. One of those really good wrestlers that could really talk. Mike Wine could talk. And everybody knows Mike Wine knows he can talk a lot. Yeah. But he knew exactly where to keep an interview. He knew exactly how to do an interview. He knew when to look at the camera, when to kind of look away from the camera. He was one of those guys that really, honestly, if you're a young monster truck driver and you want to look back at somebody and you might be really good behind the wheel, but you're not very good at interviews, watch a Mike Wine interview. Mm-hmm. He's perfect. He knows exactly what he needs to plug every single time he's there. Yeah, he, it's like, you know, he didn't really have, a, obviously, a lot of these guys didn't have any real training. Uh, doing this type of thing, but he really took to it very well. Yes, yes, he did. Up next, though, we come to the semifinals. Gary Porter gets a buy run right here, I should mention. Undertaker not able to make the call is the another fast loser. But we go to the semifinals, and this is the race. We're 50 minutes into this podcast now that I think everybody has just kind of been waiting, waiting for. Carolina Crusher and Bigfoot. Probably the greatest race in Monster Truck history right here. Uh, one, one thing here that makes it so good. And I think you'll agree with me is that the banter and the call between Scott Douglas and army Armstrong here. Yeah. These guys were good, very good together and army. Like you said, I was just good at, um, you know, recognizing the moment and, you know, and I think they all also, these guys have a little bit of an advantage of, they know what's going to happen when they're making this, uh, voiceover. I don't know exactly how they did this, but it, it seems like sometimes there is a little bit of a foreshadowing in this they did a great job it, it was it was very exciting to listen to and army just takes it up another level here yeah army's the octa the octals and army's voice raise quite a bit here coming towards the finish line uh bigfoot obviously not right stutters off the line uh i think it's an exaggeration when scott douglas says oh he's a half a lap down i think he's a good quarter of a lap down right here i mean yeah quarters not quite to the cars when brass refires and the truck goes yeah, exiting that turn, and then here comes Bigfoot with a head of steam, and Brass coming back here almost has to cut the rest of this race as a a dead perfect lap if he's going to catch Gary Porter, and right at the line he nips him, and uh, man, when Bigfoot does come alive, it comes alive. You watch that truck just looks perfect for this track. It's like driver and truck in unison mashed together right there to make that run and come back and win by about a half a truck over Gary Porter. Yeah, when you can see at the line when when the truck is idling and he's on the gas a little bit at the line, you can see the black smoke and it's kind of like not. But yeah, like you said, I think um, at this point Andy is about three or four runs into this track now, and I think this is where he really started feeling this this layout and and he kind of got this track down by this run. And uh, one of the things that always stood out to me about this was the crowd response. As they cross the finish line, and then when they're talking to the drivers here in a minute, but uh, you know, to me, this is just this was to me this is what made me, you know, fall in love with this truck and fall in love with Andy as a driver was um, I felt like they had had enough of the smack talk, they had enough of everything, and they were gonna make this this truck work um, on this track, and you know, it was just a nice uh, competitive response. Yeah, yes, it was. I think right here I'm going to pipe in the audio of that call because Army and Scott right here is it's just really good. It's something that you absolutely have to listen to as a fan of Monster Truck Racing. And honestly, I wish you could get people this excited about Monster Trucks on television these days between these two guys. We go to the 
Finals. They have to clean the engine out, keep scrapping the engine. They've got to get fuel to the engine. The fuel mixture is not right. It's stuttering about 50 feet off the start line. And there it goes again. Now the Chevrolet goes out. Gary Porter's going to go for everything he knows he's worth. The car when Bigfoot does come alive, he's, here he comes. He's going after the Chevrolet right now. But he's almost a half lap down, Army. You can see Kirk has already finished his job. He gets a little sand on his back wheel. Bigfoot bounces at the end and pressure is firmly in control. He's not a half lap anymore. Here comes Bigfoot working the inside. Andy Brad doing a great job. They're going to go to the jump side by side. Scott, Chevrolet, Ford. Who's it going to be? Bigfoot caught it. Unbelievable. And let's wait till they get the photo finished. But Army, I think Andy Brad won the race. Look at him in Louisville. It's amazing to watch this. It's amazing to listen how people were generally excited about this. and oh My God, the crowd, too, what you just mentioned, is how excited people were. When they cut to the crowd and you see not one person is sitting down, everybody is standing up in appreciation of what just what they just witnessed. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, that's what really stands out to me about that whole thing was just how uh, electric the crowd was there. And, they, and I kind of feel like they were, for some reason, they were on the Bigfoot side, too. You know, they like Carolina Crusher, but I think they were feeling that that whole comeback, that whole stumbling off the line, uh, just the aggression of Andy driving that rest of that lap. I think that uh, they, they were on they were on their side, and you can see when when Army kind of makes the call and says, "Hey, you're coming back, you're coming to the finals," and the crowd is just going nuts. Oh yeah, crowd goes nuts when they find out that Bigfoot is going to the finals. But one thing that jumps out at me here is the sportsmanship of Gary Porter, who does not protest it at all. No. Army Army asked him, Gary, does this surprise you that you're not going to the finals? And to Gary's credit, he knew he'd lost. He said, no, I thought he got me right there at the end. Just seems like such an amazing guy. Uh, you know, that's what was so great about this TNT uh, days is these personalities. And Gary was the soft-spoken guy. He kind of was the the straight shooter, like, you know, I either lost, you know, I either won or I lost. Like, you know, he's not going to try to hide it from you or, or uh, you know, lie about it. He's just, he's just a straight, uh, a straight guy that, you know, just made his, uh, he was pretty honest. And I think that was, people respected that. And, and man, an awesome driver too. Uh, just... Porter obviously is going to be the one that lasts longest in the sport here. And, I can remember Gary just being that guy that he almost puts me in the mind of, I don't know how much of a NASCAR fan you are, but he puts me in the, a lot in the mind of like Mark Martin. Mm-hmm. Really soft-spoken guy, but every now and then, if you touch him the right way or you get him the right way, he's uh, he's going to let you know about it, and he's going to be very straightforward with it, like he was earlier in this evening when they told him he wasn't, or uh, Micro Machines wasn't disqualified. Well, all right, cool. I'll go off in the grass, too. Yep. Yeah. And... I really liked uh, Gary Porter in these days, and I, I still like the interviews today. I saw him at the Hall of Fame, uh, was it 19, 2019, and still just the same uh, good old boy. Didn't really seem any different at all, and he always did a nice, I thought it was a, a calm and informative interview. Yeah, I always liked him. One interview right here before... Uh... Before we get into anything here, uh, Equalizer and Outlaws obviously next. Outlaws making a a really weird noise at the starting line, and the glass slipper kind of fell off right here for Mike Wine. And Equalizer's <laughs> obviously going to go on to win. His interview though, after this, that when they go to talk to him, 
you can just tell how exhausted Mike Wine is from having to work on this truck from basically the end of his qualifying pass till probably right up before he pulls the line against the equalizer here. I imagine they're running around in the pitch trying to get everything they can working on this truck again before he comes out to take on the top truck in the country at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think he you can see it in 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 everything about him here and you know what what I would say too is, you know, I'm sure these guys will they wake up in the morning and they're working on these things all day to begin with. If they get the chance to go to sleep. Yeah, even if they get a chance to go to sleep, they're working on it all day, and then they're running around, and this was in the summer, so it was hot. Like you said, I mean, and this is at evening now. You know, this is probably, what, 8 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, I would imagine. Yeah, actually, this one's, this is the second semifinal race. I would say this is probably closer to 8, and 8.30. Yeah, so these guys are wore out, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's not much in between rounds here for them. I'm not sure if they had stock car racing here or not, but I do remember the previous couple of uh, LMS events that the sideshow was the normal stock car racing that they would see every Friday or Saturday night at Louisville Motor Speedway was kind of the, the sideshow to the monster trucks. Yeah, I mean, and that would make sense. That would be a good, you know, a good thing to have. Final round, though, and this race almost gets overlooked as far as really close monster truck races go after what we just saw previously from Bigfoot and Carolina Crusher. We get Equalizer and Bigfoot here. Uh, before this round, we get Greg Holbrook stating that he ran really he ran the truck harder in the semifinals than he did previously. And he, he literally just replies back, well, I got to get used to running the truck hard. Yeah, he, he, he knew at this point that, um, you know, the Bigfoot truck was, was charging hard. And if it was going to come off the line, uh, without stumbling, then he was going to be in for a race, and, and he was going to have to drive it out the back door, as Army would say, right? Drive it straight out the back door. And honestly, with the way Andy was running this night, he had to learn how to push it if he was going to keep up with Bigfoot. But um, I don't know. In this pass, it seems like Andy's not quite as hard on the truck as he was in the round previously. I don't know if there was something hurt on the truck or not, but it just seems like Bigfoot wasn't, quite a hundred percent for this pass i'm not sure i don't know that may have been the fueling issue that they were having but when you look back at this it almost it seems like andy kind of backs off just a little bit yeah i think you know in sort of inconsistency with the whole thing here i think what to me what happens is um the truck comes off the line kind of slow and, you know equalizer gets a jump on him off the line mm -hmm. <clears throat> and andy it, it doesn't fall on its face but it's definitely not crisp and and I, and I think to me what I would say is I would think that's the difference in this race. I thought his his second his uh, back half of this lap was really good, mm -hmm. uh, but the but the the front side of the lap wasn't that great. Didn't come off the line super hard, and and, and Equalizer ran the first uh, the first part of the track pretty hard. He ran that inside line pretty hard, and and um, but I, I was really impressed with this. Uh, it would be nice to know what the times were in this run. I wish I could know the time as well. But I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sure we could time it. But you can see when Bigfoot comes off the line here. It just, you know, you can see when he shifts it. It just the, the truck didn't seem very crisp, and it took about like halfway through that oval um, before the started to pick back up. Yeah, and it didn't fall on its face, but it, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that, you know, like it like it could have been and it was a little angry he had to blow the dust out of it it seemed like when he when he left the line 
he didn't quite get a you know you know when that run against Carolina Crusher he he pretty much cleared the the stack in the center yeah. and uh, kind of clipped it with the rear wheels and then the way it landed actually kind of helped him I think in the turn mm-hmm. and here he didn't quite jump it as hard and I think that's kind of going back to what you're saying is maybe he didn't attack that um, as much as uh, maybe he did in the in the run before really still makes this thing a race at at the finish here where um i you know you don't know is is he uh, has he got it floored here yeah. <laughs> i think they're both floored when they come out to come to the finish line here but uh yep. equalizer has the momentum up top whereas bigfoot doesn't and you can almost see uh right as they come out of that last turn the front tires of Bigfoot Four seem like they push just a little bit on the exit, and I think that cost Andy some speed because he does briefly take the lead on the exit of that corner. But it, like I said, it's it's almost like a NASCAR. Whenever you get on the throttle just a little too early and it starts to push up towards the wall, I think that's kind of what happened with Andy here. He got on the throttle maybe just a little a tick too early, and it pushed that truck out wide and almost out of his lane, and he had to kind of gather himself back up to get back to the cars. Yeah, it it rocked there a little bit. You know, it kind of it's got all the weight on the right side, uh, making that left turn, all the weights on the right. And then when he's straightening it back up and that thing kind of recenters and it wants to go towards the center line a little bit, I think there was a slight lift, like you said. And this was probably his best jump of the night here, Bigfoot making this last jump. You know, he, and it was nice and straight once he jumped and the, the way the truck landed actually was really nice. And that probably goes to the the rear suspension. They have that one nitrogen shock in the back that's probably helping that truck soak the landing up just a little bit more. Yeah, you can see Equalizer front tires hit the last car in, in, in uh, Bigfoot here. He's got front tires on the downside ramp. Yeah, and honestly, if, the, if the finish line is past the cars by another five feet, Bigfoot wins this race because it's got, and it, the, it's weird to say, it had the momentum over the cars, whereas Equalizer probably lost all the momentum whenever it hit that jump. It seems like when it hits the jump, the springs on this truck almost bounce it into the air, whereas Bigfoot hits it and it skies it and just flies straight over the cars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I was I, – I don't remember looking at this so much at the time. I was just like, oh, we, you know, Bigfoot lost, whatever. The, looking back now, Equalizer is way in his lane um, after this – after the jump here. And, like, he's got half a truck over the cones into his lane as the reason they almost touch. You know, Andy's pretty well centered. I don't think Greg launched straight. I think he was in, I think he was in his lane when he hit the cars. Mm-hmm. He kind of drifts over in the air towards Andy. And I think that's why they, they – actually, I don't think they almost touch. I think the rear tires do collide here. They, yeah, they probably they probably touch, right? Yeah, they, they touch at the end of this. Uh, equalizer's night, though. Honestly, mm-hmm. the only hard run that that truck had was the final round. Yeah, the rest of the time he's just putting around against Mopar Magic, basically. He gets three shots against Gary Wiggins and then one shot against uh, the Outlaw, which by that point the Outlaw was – the tongue was hanging out of that truck. It was done. It was thirsty. It needed to go back to the pits and have probably 24 hours of work put on it before it come back out again. Yeah. Points after this event, though, in hindsight looking at it, Equalizer only gains two points after having to run that hard race against Bigfoot 4. Goes from a four-point lead to a six-point lead, 365 to 359. Yeah, you know, as a Bigfoot fan here, I was really nervous um, when they weren't allowing the Bigfoot 8. And this this race kind of got all my confidence back. I was like, okay, um, this is winnable. Uh, Kind of, 
you know, only two points, uh, like you said, two point difference here at the end of this race. And I was just kind of like, you know what, I think this is doable. You know, if, if Andy's going to drive the truck, I was confident they'd have another good showing the the, the next night. And then uh, when, when John came back, back and sleeping, uh, I think they were in the truck running better and had a decent showing at, uh, like, Myrtle Beach and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, Myrtle Beach was kind of the swan song for four. Yeah, I think that was the last event uh, that, that John drove on, on the series and... I would have liked to have seen him. Kind of goes uh, off and runs into the special events, whereas Andy comes back with eight. And uh, honestly, it's kind of almost like a what if booking thing, kind of like here. What if he did have eight here? Would they have noticed the sway bar issue that it had beforehand at this track? Because honestly, when you go throwing a truck like eight into the corner here, you're going to notice the body roll a lot more. So if eight was here, would they have noticed the body roll and the sway bar issue a little bit sooner? By the time they took it outdoors on the long straight line tracks, maybe Bigfoot goes on a tear after that and just wins event after event after event. If they if, if eight's here and they notice the sway bar issue here, you know what I've always kind of thought of is, my, in my personal opinion, I think this would have been the hardest event for eight <laughs> because I think you know like we were talking about earlier when the trucks came back here in '91 and they either wanted to get up on two wheels, traction roll a little bit, if you will, or uh, I think Taurus did some donuts um, and just didn't have great handling the following year. I think 8 would have had a little trouble on this track uh, with the power and the cut tires, the uh, and then, the, like you said, the sway bars and stuff. But I honestly think that the other straight tracks, it pro probably would have fared just as well at and then better than four did at all the straight tracks. Um, and then they would have figured out the, the issue sooner. And like you said, I think they probably would have went on a little bit better of a run and it wouldn't have been as close as it was. Oh yeah. I, I think that if, if eight's here, I think that it probably has some stumbling going on and mm -hmm. fuel issues. Like what we're talking here with Bigfoot four and what happened, uh, I think what happens here is eight goes into a corner and brass. I don't think the truck gets into the wall, but I think Andy gets pretty close to it. And uh, there's a couple of shots here. I want to say it's uh, King Crunch. You can kind of see the rear end just walking a little bit behind the truck as he's trying to get on the throttle. I think that's what happens with eight. Uh, I believe they if if it happened if eight was here, I think they noticed the sway bar issue a lot sooner. And I think when they go onto those outdoor long straight line tracks, I think they've got it fixed. And I think 8 goes on an absolute tear on those long straight line tracks before, I believe it's West Leb when they finally, or West Lebanon, New York, when they finally dial down that sway bar issue on 8 and the truck's able to launch straight and stay straight the entire pass. Yeah, I think they had several things going on at the time with the truck. And I've talked with Matt Stoltz about it a lot. And, you know, because we're always like, you know, like one of one or the other, either him or me will be looking at one of these old events and uh, we'll bring up something, and I'll send him a picture, and he'll send me a picture. And you notice this? What do you think about this? And so, I um, think that you're watching. Listen, <laughs> it was thirty some odd years ago, but you're still noticing a little bitty things that you may not have noticed even even in the other four hundred and ninety nine times we watched it. I know it's it's nuts, and you know what I see going on is you know sure I think they were they were working on the sway bars here. Uh, continuously with this truck, but it probably wasn't as easy to to fix some of those things uh, 
on the go like they might have today or get new um, new bars or get some things re uh, yeah or retempered or or change the because I'm sure there's a lot that has to do with uh, the type of material that the bar is you know how it's treated and if it's uh, gonna hold up you know over a period of time where or if you get one event out of it or if it's tweaked mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think I'm sure they I'm sure they went through a lot of that, but probably on the go here it was it was hard even if they knew what was going on. The truck was booked and they were gonna send it out. Exactly. So one thing too is eight was completely different than any other truck out there on the circuit. So like you're saying, getting parts for it is probably very difficult at this time. They've probably got a stockpile of parts in the trailer with it, but I guarantee you they probably don't have everything that they need as far as getting that truck hundred percent if something random would happen to break on it. And the other thing I saw in some of these videos was um, <clears throat> it was uh, the first one in Flemington and then a little bit in, in – uh, I don't know if it was Le West Lebanon or or the one of the other races. But there were times where the front steering would completely turn on this truck too. Mm -hmm. Where he would almost hit the hole in the cars and the truck would cut to the right or it would cut to the left. Well, you could see when he would get on the power after landing – there was times where the front, like the steering would turn. It would turn either left or right. And I wouldn't be surprised if there is uh, there was a, a differential or an axle issue to go along with the sway bars, and they were fighting multiple things at one time during that um, kind of that swing, that uh, north northeast swing they were on. I wouldn't be surprised if there was multiple um issues going on besides just a sway bar because there's times when you see the highlights and the, the front tires just turn hard left or hard right and it's not them turning it it's like when he gets on the power the thing wants to actually something's happening inside and i think that there was multiple things going on and they started kind of getting them worked out and um and it, and it took a little while but I think they started to narrow it down and probably when they got a chance to be at the shop for, you know, maybe two or three weeks, maybe they were able to fix everything at once or, you know, I don't really know how it worked, but I know one thing's for sure. During this time period, I went, I was at the Bigfoot bash in 1990 and uh, eight was there with the acclaimed decals on the side. So it was like dead in the middle of a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And the truck was awesome on that track, <laughs> you know. It was, and it was a straight line track, and it was, uh, you know, he could clear the first set, which was kind of the problem on some of these tracks where you couldn't clear the first set of cars, and um, you had to land in a hole or land on the cars. But you know, there in Tennessee, you could jump the whole stack and keep going straight. And but it was a, it was awesome when I saw it there, and I I never really understood as a kid, you know, 14 years old, I'm watching, I'm like, man, this thing looks perfect now. Um, and and then nine just comes out of nowhere. I didn't even know it existed. Is there? So yeah, you, you're. I imagine you're probably walking in the. Wait, they've got two. <laughs> yeah, you're like, what? Wait a second here. What's this? And then you know your mouth's just on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as LMS 1990 goes, obviously, probably the one of the greatest early events in the uh, the racing decades of monster truck history. Uh, just for the semifinals as well as the final round here. Uh, Production-wise, completely flawless, as is, as what you would expect from an ESPN broadcast in the day. Um, Army Armstrong, Scott Douglas, amazing pairing. 
uh, I can I consider them to be like uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. If you're a pro wrestling fan, those are two of the best color commentary guys of all time in wrestling history. And I compare the I compare Army and Scott to be probably the best pairing in Monster Truck history as well. Uh, I I got to give this event a nine out of ten, honestly. Yeah. I mean, there's there's small room for improvement. I think the early rounds of racing kind of are kind of what hurts it here because you just don't you don't have those really close finishes that you would you probably expect. But boy, when this event ramps up, does it ramp up? Yeah, it's definitely one of the best ones of the season for sure. Uh, to me, the the last race of the season at Louisville um, was also uh, top notch. But you know, this one for me always stands out. It stands up to the test of time. I watch it over and over again, and it never gets old. Oh, yeah. Exactly. One of the greatest events of all time. And I'm happy to have covered it here on this podcast with you, Jason. Uh, like I do with everybody, is there anything that you'd like to plug towards uh, after this? No, I'm just looking forward to doing some more RC monster truck racing. Um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, the world kind of turns around here. We can get back outside and, and watch watch some real some real trucks again in the future and uh you know just happy with what's going on in in uh the rc monster truck world uh the real monster truck world you know they're posting photos online of uh, the trucks we're talking about here today bigfoot eight bigfoot four being restored so uh, a lot of good things going on right now oh yeah there's uh, as much bad as there is out there there is just as much good it seems like coming from everywhere else um, I'm happy. I want to get back out and do some racing too. I especially, I want to line back up against you again. Cause that was quite a lot of fun last weekend. It's addictive. You know, you, you, uh, I asked Tad Goad when I was there, we went to lunch. I said, I said, you know, if you, if, if uh, the time wasn't an issue, I said, how many days in a row do you think you could do this where you just show up the next day and it's a whole new race all over again, new, new track layout. And he's just like, Oh, I could do the, easily do this for a week or more. Just every day, just new track, new race, just race again. And and uh, I was like, you know what? I, I was like, you know, I I want to go right back again. I, it's like I was I was ready to run on Monday again. Let's run another race. I was so. It's the same I was, way. I got home and I'm like, damn, I want to get back out there. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. Oh yeah, I loved it. Anyway, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Jason. I was happy to have you. Hopefully, we'll get you on here again soon, talk maybe about another 1990 event or something like that. But until then, everybody, this has been the Retro Monster Truck Review. I hope you enjoyed it. Look forward to coast coming out to the next one. And always remember, rubber side down, shiny side up.